Hello everyone and welcome to episode 12 of Hidden the Wings and Bloodlust. Now today on the show we've got an interview with the hosts of Criticast, Cassie and Karina. The episode was produced by Vasil Skuri of soundpulse.com. I really hope you enjoy it. And welcome to Hidden Wings and Bloodlust. Today on the show, we've got two guests. They do the um, Criticast podcast. So I just want to welcome you to the show. Do you want to say a bit about yourselves? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. My name's Karina. My name is Cassie. We do the Crittercast podcast, which is an animal-themed podcast. We upload bi-weekly, and we have no limits on what types of animals we talk about. I would let Cassie interject, but she has a cat in her face. (laughs) And his butt is on the mic. (laughs) That's generally how Uh, our recordings go. (laughs) We have too many animals. (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, I noticed like, I mean, I've listened to a few of your episodes and like a lot of the time there's like some drama going on with the dogs (laughs) or cats and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and that's post-editing too, because we... (laughs) yeah. It's just kind of we like we to think it's charming. Think of that as character. Yeah, yeah. No, it's no, it's great. I mean, I think if you're if you're talking about animals and there's like no animals in the right the thing, it would be quite. You know, you kind of want to hear what you're talking about sometimes. Yeah, yeah. If there's no animal noises, what are you even doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, how I just wondered, like, how did you? guys come up with the idea to start the uh, podcast then um i tricked karina into it actually (laughs) is what happened (laughs) uh karina loves to perform and is a fantastic performer she's very smart and she speaks like so well off the cuff gosh you're so nice (laughs) and she was working like a lot and didn't have a lot of outlets for performing and I kind of miss doing like theater and and other types of like outreach stuff. And we knew each other through volunteering at, well, I was volunteering at the animal shelter that she worked at. So uh, we just kind of talked about what kind of an animal related podcast we might be interested in doing. Right. And she didn't realize what she was getting herself into. <laughs> No, I did not. And and this all started, let's not forget, because you decided that you were obsessed with actually listening to podcasts. Yeah. And then we're just like, if I like listening to them, I should just do my own. Well, I like talking. I'm a teacher. Yeah. I like talking. I like hearing myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I like making other people listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> and we love animals and we like to spread knowledge about them and spread excitement about, especially kind of the weirder or lesser appreciated animals, even though we love to do episodes on fun, fluffy animals that everyone loves too. But we we like to spread that love to all the weird yeah. things. <laughs> and right at the time that we were first really starting to think about doing the podcast, we got our first reptile. It was great timing. And that just really kind of spurred us to want to 
explore animals that were, you know, kind of underappreciated, that people don't know a ton about, but that have really cool. Yep. Sounds right. <laughs> Indeed. It's, that's all, that's all accurate. We will, we will settle our pup down because it's, it's still fairly early on a Sunday morning for us in California. And our dogs are not morning dogs, but they're just not. <laughs> oh, and I guess like if you say certain words in a certain tone, tone of voice, it will start, they will start getting the, the idea that they will, um, that they will want to do, uh, they'll want to go out and, Oh, you know what? Honestly, a, a little bit, but we the more problem that we have with our dogs is that they're a bunch of couch potatoes and when they hear noises outside, that is they're just like everybody go away, we're sleeping. <laughs> so they just they have to tell us and tell the whole neighborhood to be quiet, which is really more the problem we have. <laughs> yeah. So when I when I had a dog, like she'd always want to go out for a W A L K. Yeah. We we would ended up not even being able to say the word and not even being able to spell the word because as soon as as soon as she would actually work out what W-A-O-K stood for <laughs> and like and so you had to like say you have to like be so like uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Yeah, dogs are super smart. She just like she just work it work out your what you were talking about straight away and get all excited and like, <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. My dog is way too smart for her own good. And she figures out all sorts of things way too quickly. And then if it's something she doesn't want, she runs and hides under the bed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, when I had a dog, she used to be absolutely terrified of um, anything to do with fireworks. Oh, Yeah. And just completely start freaking out. It was like didn't really bother like any of the cats that we had at all. And you know anything to do with fireworks, you just like run up, run under the bed. Like we like we would be like, where's the dog? And then like we'd go upstairs, and the dog would be like sort of shaking under the bed. Oh, poor baby. That's fair. Fireworks are really scary. They are. They're so loud to their poor ears. Yeah, I think these days. I mean, we're not. We're not growing up every it was something everyone did and I think these days I think there's a lot more awareness about how bad yeah. it can actually how bad it can be yeah. oh yeah well and just think about all of the wild animals too hearing all of these explosions absolutely and all the like the pollution and everything oh, yeah yeah no I know so I'm just wondering like I mean we've talked about like what kind of topics um you guys cover during the podcast I just want to like ask really like what what is the best thing about doing it and what is the worst thing about doing it (laughs) oh the worst thing is how much time it takes yeah yeah very time you know it's time consuming yeah because there's the hours of research that goes into every episode and then the act of recording the episode and all the ups and downs and then all the editing and honestly what's also really time consuming is working on promoting and doing social media for your podcast. Yeah. And like, I know we feel like we're not always hitting that mark. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, like, kind of it's a it's a catch 22 because you start and do a podcast because you enjoy it. That's that's the best part of it is that we just enjoy learning new things and spreading it to other people. 
But in order for it to be successful and for other people to be able to enjoy it, you have to put a lot of work into it. <laughs> and you don't get paid, man. No. <laughs> Not when you're a small podcast. No, no. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, I, I started out listening to podcasts and listening to want to like quite, I, I guess, well-known ones, like I guess um, some of the true crime ones and that that are quite well-known. Oh, and, yeah. some of, and, and it's like, you know, they, when they're reading it, it just, it sounds so easy it, you know, yes. it, just, it just sounds like that it's just rolling off the tongue. And then yeah. when you try and do it yourself, it's like, I've got to record this thing five or six times because I started laughing in the middle of it or, or like <laughs> something, something went wrong, like the doorbell went or, or, something yeah. like, or something like that. It's just like, you know, how, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's not particularly easy is it no no certainly not (laughs) Cassie actually right now is teaching first year seminar um at the the college that she teaches at about starting a podcast and I went out last week and just kind of helped her even though I'm not a teacher but whatever (laughs) it's fine and it was it was really interesting for me to be able to sit there and just look at these students and be like why do you want to do this (laughs) there's a lot to there's just so much more to think about so many people are just like, I'm going to start a podcast. Right. And you're like, oh, there's just so much more to it than that. Yeah. But I think there's a lot that outweighs the negatives, too. That's true. One of my favorite things is, of course, finding out all these cool things about animals that I didn't even know about before. You know, even animals that I'd never even heard of. I love, I love, you know, finding out cool stuff about animals that we're super familiar with. But also I love finding out about new animal species too. That's so fun. Um, another thing I really love is the people that we've met through our podcast. You know, like you and um, the folks at Varmints. And there's just like so many great people that we've been able to connect with. Oh, yeah. And that's really been fun. How about you, Karina? What's your favorite thing? You stole my thing because I thought uh-huh. just I mean, well, when you, like the podcast community is both small and massively large at the same time you know like there's especially with us like animal podcasts it's still a relatively small niche like there's not thousands and thousands of animal podcasts and so you know when you start to interact with other podcasters on social media just kind of get to know them you start doing more guest interviews which is that's pretty new for us we've done like way more in the past maybe like three four months and by way more I mean like we've done like four (laughs) than we had for like the whole first year we did our podcast. But you just meet a lot of cool, fun people from all over the world. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would definitely agree with that. And also like, because I think everyone's in the same boat. They're all like fairly small podcasts. Like even the ones that have got quite a lot of listeners, they're they're all, everyone's like super helpful. No one's like stuck up and saying, oh, I don't want. Right. It's so supportive. Everybody is so wonderful. Absolutely. So... I want to ask as well, like, I was reading the Criticast's uh, website and you both like volunteering in a animal welfare center? Yeah, sort of. I, so I work in animal sheltering and I, I have for the past couple of years. And then Cassie likes to volunteer again in animal rescue and sheltering. So I actually work at a municipal city animal shelter, which means, you know, we're responsible for all of the animals in a certain jurisdiction which means, you know, if it's stray, it comes to our doors and we can't turn it away and all that fun stuff, uh, which I love. It's just amazing. And and then I think Cassie 
has always really enjoyed the adoption counseling side of animal sheltering. Again, I like talking to people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we're, we're really passionate about animal rescue, specifically with like companion animals that Mm -hmm. people can adopt and love in their homes. Yeah. Uh, Because with the adoption counseling, does that sort of involve, because I think in the UK, I don't know if they all do it, but I know a lot of, um, I think like the RSPCA and um, Dogs Trust and I think Cats Protection, they actually have a like policy where they often go and visit people's homes to make sure that everything is above mm-hmm. balls. I mean, do you, do you do that or is it just like talking to um, them? Or? Not us particularly. So that like home visits, that's something that it's not uncommon in uh, here in the US either. But it's specifically like more often with small rescues that have like a small number of animals and those animals have really specific behavioral or medical concerns that they want to make sure people can address. But when you are more involved in like larger shelters like we have historically been, there's not really time to do that with everyone. (laughs) And there's been a really big movement, at least here in the United States with animal sheltering, trying to eliminate barriers to adoption and, you know, having these extensive background checks and home visits for potential adopters seems kind of counterintuitive when you're just trying to find good homes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the emphasis now is more on making sure that people have education and resources to be able to turn whatever their home is into the best environment for themselves and their animals. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so Karina, like you said that it's, it said that you're working, I think is like a volunteer coordinator. Like that is, so I guess. Yeah. So I manage, uh, you know, most animal shelters cannot do what they do with staff alone. Most animal shelters require a, a really strong core of volunteers. And so my animal shelter that I work at currently is brand new. It just opened up about four months ago. And when we opened our doors, we had no volunteers. <laughs> and now we have 150 plus. Which so amazing. Yeah. And that's my job is to recruit and train and just kind of manage that whole program. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Because I think, I think especially in the UK as well, I think a lot of, I don't know if all of them are run on volunteers, but I think I think most of them are because I think I don't think they get much money from the government. No, sure. yeah, absolutely. That's a pretty standard problem. Yeah, and I think here it was like they a lot of the time they they have like sort of shops, like charity shops where all yeah. of the money that gets spent is like is like raising money for the charity and I think like people yeah. can go and I think it's quite good like work experience for I think kids in school to like go and volunteer at the weekend or something but I think they do rely very heavily on volunteers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I guess here, I guess in the US and I, th- I guess probably all, all over the world, I think it's like that. Oh yeah, I mean, we, I'm, I'm part of a lot of like online communities for like shelter workers internationally to like bounce resources off each other. And there are like, there are animal shelters in other countries that literally were just completely formed by volunteers. There is zero paid staff. That It's insane. I'm glad we have at least the paid staff that we do have. But yeah, volunteers in animal rescue and animal sheltering, just absolutely pivotal. Like you cannot do anything no. without them. No. Exactly. I think that's pretty much the same in the in the UK as well, because I think I think it's not very all these charities don't have much money and stuff. And and I think a lot of the time people they're not doing it as a career. They're doing it like for the love of it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's not really a career you get into to make money. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. <laughs> exactly. You also, I know that you also do a lot of um, like reptile shows and things oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, we do. Well, that's it's pretty new for us, but we have uh, a lot of fun doing them. Okay. Is it just reptiles or is it also bugs and other... Yeah, it is. A lot of the ones that we've been to are primarily like reptile and exotic pet shows, but a lot of times they will have like museums or a lot of educational booths Mm -hmm. there too. And so a lot of times that includes insects and bugs. Last show we went to, we were next to a bat rescue group. That was was so cool. cool (laughs) We love bats. And they had real bats there. Yeah, like real bats. And they were super cute. They were so cute. And a lot of times like entertainment in those shows also includes like larger wild animals. So we went to a show and we were right by the stage and they had a sloth on the stage. We died. I know. (laughs) It was really great. Yeah. And then of course they always, um, it's really common to have like tarantulas Mm -hmm. and um, scorpions and other like millipedes common exotic pet insects yeah and then feeder insects too oh, at yeah. those shows really commonly so we got to see a lot of cool stuff not often do we see ladybugs at reptile no. shows though, which makes me sad me too but I think I think we should do a ladybug adventure soon because uh-huh. it's almost early spring here and that is prime ladybug viewing season yeah. oh yeah I think definitely now I think also like so when if you also sometimes go into I don't know if you listen to the episode that I did about the 16 spot and I know that in the US there's um the conversion lady yes. beast that has that like I've seen photos of it and there's masses and masses of lady yes. on the on like a on like all over the branches of the trees and everything and I just like totally. um is it easy for you guys when you want to go and look for ladybirds and insects? Is it easy for you to get out into um, out into the nature? Because we've got it right here. We, I mean, I've, where I live, I've got it sort of on my doorstep. But I know that, mm-hmm. like, is it easy for you guys it, when you when you want to go look for ladybirds to go and find them? Or yeah, we're actually at a really prime location for ladybug viewing. Uh, California is kind of we. When we're in Northern California, because California is really, really long. So there's kind of different climates in Southern California versus Northern. And where we're at is like Central Northern. And it's a really Mediterranean climate, which is like perfect for ladybugs, but particularly for convergent ladybugs. So about like a 45 minute drive away from us is this national park called Pinnacle National Park. So the the ladybugs that we have most abundantly in the area are the convergent ladybugs, the hippodamia convergence or something like that. Throwing out the <laughs> words. Why not? How about that? And they're they're also known as the 12 spotted, I think, but there's they're they're that really classic red orange color. And they have the the bright white lines on their their mm-hmm. faces too. They're really cool looking. And so they'll um they'll lay their eggs in the agricultural area where we're near. And then once they have, once the larvae have eaten all of the aphids in the area, they'll go and do the converging in this national park, like 45 minutes away from us. So you can easily go and see just a whole bunch of them. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And even just um, like on a smaller scale, 
we are really near um, Davis, California, and on the UC Davis campus, on the college campus near us, there is a gorgeous arboretum that has a waterway and lots of different natural trees, and there is always lots of fun insect spotting to do there. Um, some ladybugs, lots of other fun things, some sea, like occasionally we just see river otters <laughs> through the waterway there too, which is, uh, they come up from the a nearby creek and you can just see them at certain times of the year. There's one or two of them. Yeah. In the UK, actually, um, I don't know, I don't know if there's anything equivalent over there, but I've never seen one. I want to see one. There's actually a type of ladybug called the water ladybird. And it's so, it, I mean, I think you'll be quite interested in it, actually, because it, because um, basically it's got, I think it's got 19 spots. Um, I think, I think it's Latin name means 19 spotted. Wow. And, and it, but what's quite cool about it is one, it can swim. And two, in the um, spring when it hatches out, it changes colour like over the year. So like in the spring where everything's like still kind of a bit like, gray and, and there's a lot of like dead leaves and stuff still around it's kind of pale so it kind mm-hmm. of camouflages itself and then as it gets like to the summer it changes color to a pink color oh. and i just that's amazing oh Pretty. that's so cool i've never actually seen one but i'd really like um i went to this a while back i went to this sort of bug recording day and we were trying to look for one but we didn't actually manage to find one. Oh, bummer yeah and then it the cool thing about it though is is it it can actually it is one of the few ladybirds that know that actually swims and not only and not swims underwater but like swims like it uses its legs to swim on to like swim on the surface so like usually <laughs> if you if an insect that can't swim like a ladybird or a fly or something ends up in the water usually right. it it will it will just thrash about until it maybe gets to dry land but this one it swims on the surface and kind of like knows what it what it's doing. Like it's so smart. That's so crazy. So I know because usually you just think insects plus water equals bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. So what? Um, I just wanted like because have you got any other like sort of particular thoughts about our spotty our spotty little buddies or not? <laughs> Yeah, I've always loved ladybugs, and I, I think it's so interesting too because when Cassie first asked me if um, I would, if we would be interested in being on your show and talking to you, when when she said ladybirds, I was like, I have no idea what that is. What kind of <laughs> bird is that? So it's so funny to me that I lived my whole twenty four year old life not knowing that not everyone calls them ladybugs, but it's fine. <laughs> I have always always loved them. They are so cute and so helpful for for home gardens and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, every every animal has its has its downsides as far as pest control goes. Sure. But um, but I've always just had like really nice thoughts about them. I know like the funniest thing um, that I remember from being a kid is that you could like go to Orchard Supply or like a garden store right. and they just like sell bags of ladybugs and I was like I don't understand this is this really like a bag full of ladybugs and it was I thought that was the best thing when I like, was a kid it was truly a bag full I of still ladybugs. think it's the best thing <laughs> and now you can get them on Amazon I know <laughs> which seems sketchy but okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> that that is um I think 
I think you can buy them. I don't think I've actually seen them at the garden center, but I know that you I know that there are some farms and stuff that you can that you can kind of buy them online. But in general, because I mean when I when I was growing up when I was a kid, we didn't ever use like any pesticides and stuff. But like right. when I remember like when I was a, when I was a kid, like I was always fascinated by them and like I always try and like get them down so I can have a look. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if it was I on definitely I'd remember going to I'd be like, Mom, can you get that for me? I was like, she's like, like why, why should I get it for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, they're so fun. My, um, one of my cousins who's, we have really close relationships, so she's kind of like my niece. Um, and a ladybug is kind of her, like, representative animal. <laughs> and so we've always called her Bug as a part of her name it's just like her nickname so i've you know that's just made ladybugs and ladybirds even more endearing to me yeah yeah mm-hmm. i know because it's it's a very like they're very you know that it's what's it's always quite you know because i think they're because they're brightly colored and because they you know they'll fly you know they they won't you know like some insects like for example a butterfly or something like they're really beautiful but if you try and if you try and get it, it will just it will just run away. It will just fly right. away. Whereas a ladybird right. will just it will just it will just go onto you. It will just happily walk onto your hand, won't it? And it feels like such like an honor, right? It feels like you're being chosen. <laughs> if a ladybug or two oh lands on you and sticks around for a while, yeah, they just hang. Yeah, I always felt like that was magical when I was a kid. It is magical. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Um, sorry, no, no, it's fine. What were you going to say? I was going to say, uh, did you hear about the, the big swarm here last year? Yes, I did. <laughs> was that actually like a real thing or was it? Yes. Yeah, it was a real thing. So there were, it was the convergent ladybugs and it was in Southern California in the beginning of June last year, 2019. And there were so many of them migrating because they, they had just come out of, um, you know, their, what's it called? Diet, diet whatever. Their, like, downtime. <laughs> of, um, yeah, like, hibernation. Yeah, yeah, their version of hibernation. Um, and so there was such a massive swarm of them that they showed up on radar. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it showed the sort of hurricane um, um, kind of radar, didn't it? And then yeah. they're, like, they're like, what's this? Like, oh, it's, it's, la- it's ladybugs. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And people were trying to figure out what it even was at first because they couldn't even, it was showing up, but the the skies were clear and everyone was like, what the heck? But luckily there was an observer there who was like, it's ladybugs. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, of course that, that swarming isn't, isn't anything new. It's just, it was such a big group of them. So it was, um, I guess it measured roughly like 80 miles by 80 miles, which is insane if you think about it. That's huge. That is absolutely insane. It was just, and it was just, and it was only the convergent uh, ladybird. Yeah. Well, they're not 100% sure what they were, but that's, I mean, that's like 99% most likely. Yeah. That is, that is, wow. I mean. Yeah. (laughs) is huge so so funny we read that and because and, a lot of the time you know like 
in in the media like a lot of stuff gets reported that's not necessarily accurate about insects oh, and animals. <laughs> <Yeah>. True. <laughs> like, is that actually true, or is that just something that someone's made up? And true. it was actually true. <laughs> actually true. Yeah, we're here for the real facts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so what? So just have either of you guys got a favorite? ladybug or a favorite type of ladybug or well mine's the convergent ladybug because that's just, just that awesome. classic of what you've <laughs> what you've been around your whole life yeah yeah it's very you know yeah ev- evocative of the classic and also anything that can make that big of a stir yeah that's that much of a drama queen yeah I'm here for it <laughs> I so I like I previewed this question and I thought I don't even know if I've ever, like, I don't know if I've seen more than one type of ladybug because I never look that closely. So I was like, well, I'm going to do a little research and find a, ty- a favorite ladybug. <laughs> and so I decided that my my new favorite ladybug is the steel blue ladybird oh. because it is gorgeous. Ooh. Wait, and, Googling, Googling. Yeah, Google it for sure. It has this shiny, iridescent, hard outer shell and has been intentionally introduced as an invasive species. Oh. Um, kind of all over because it is so good at eating pests. Oh. Pests. oh, that is gorgeous. Unfortunately, it's also really good at eating things you might want. Oh, shockingly introducing intentionally an invasive species has unintended consequences? <laughs> what? No, no. <laughs> Say it isn't so. <laughs> Um, but not to the point of like some of the other invasive species that we have talked about. Not like cane toads? No, nothing (laughs) like cane toads. And they're just absolutely gorgeous and they have a lot of really cool, like they're very, um, they're very savvy about protecting themselves from predators. They can, like many other ladybirds, uh, emit a smelly, smelly, not, you know, a little scent burst when nice. predators come near that they're like, uh, oh, don't, I'm a stink bug. Go away. Do they call that musking like they do for snakes? And I didn't see that, but yeah. I could believe it. Cool. <laughs> and they're just pretty. Do you get the steel blue ladybird in the USA or, or not? Yeah. Supposedly they've been introduced in both California and Hawaii, but I've never seen oh. one in person. Yeah. I don't, I think in the UK because we've had a lot of, there's been a lot of invasive species that have come. And I think now, although it's a bit more like sort of shutting the door once the horse is bolted, <laughs> it's like now they've got quite strict rules about what you can and can't introduce. And I think right. if something wants, if something's going to be introduced, they have to like, they have to like do research and stuff before they can do it. Although the, the problem is with insects, you can't necessarily like if someone's, if, if, if a plane lands and if there's been something, that's been on the wing of the plane or that flew in. Right. You can't necessarily like say, oh, yeah. well, like I'll come in because it's it's too late then. But yeah, I think they, they try and stop it, although they don't always succeed. But yep. yeah, yep. I have heard of that ladybird before. Like I didn't know that it had been introduced in other places, but it just seemed, it seemed so unique and different to all the other ones. Yeah, that shiny blue shell, and they're just, they're like the little army ladybirds, like the little soldiers. Cool. So have you got, like, have you guys ever found 
like I mean, if you ever found like a particularly interesting ladybird or like one that you thought, wow, like never seen Sadly, this before. I'm I'm not sure we have. <laughs> I I think it's just been pretty standard stuff for us. I do remember the first time that I realized that there were more than one species of ladybugs when I was a kid and I found like um, a really pale yellow ladybug and I was so confused and I thought, this is not right. It looks like a ladybug, but it's the wrong color. What is this? And it's a little bit wrong shape. And my dad is an ecologist. And so I took all of my science questions to him and my mom. I had a lot of questions. Okay. <laughs> It didn't really go away. <laughs> and he, he had to explain to me that, yeah, there's just a lot of different types. And you'll see all sorts of different types around. And I grew up in Oregon. So there's, you know, really great agricultural areas and, and temperate climate. So plenty of, plenty of different species up there, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, so what about you, uh, Karina? What have you, what was the most interesting one you found? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was just going to comment on Cassie because honestly, like I've, I don't know that I've ever found one that was particularly interesting to me, but I also didn't realize that the different colors meant that there were different species. Like I did not make that connection in my childhood <laughs> brain, but I always kind of compared them to tomatoes because you know how tomatoes are sometimes like, they just weren't right. I was like, they weren't right. <laughs> like a hundred percent. That's how I reasoned it in I my mean, brain. Sure, but also, yes, they do go through different life stages. So they literally like, weren't ripe. I was like, this is just not a fully grown up <laughs> tomato. I'm confused. It's fine. <laughs> I definitely thought that the yellow ones were just babies. It's fine. I think, though, sometimes it, you're kind of like half right because sometimes once they've just come out of the um, pupa, they are yellow. Like if you. You know, like the most the most common ladybird we get here, like the seven spot. When it comes out of the pupa, it's 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 completely yellow, and its its skin, like it's of the the shell part, has been like compared to orange peel because that's huh. like the, the sort of texture that it is. Interesting. And it's to um to harden up and get the spots and everything, wow. and it and they look they they're yellow until they actually become um. And until like a few hours later when they're running around a bit more and yeah because I think I think like in general like if you find if you find one that is um that is yellow it usually is a different species but sometimes the red ones when they come out they're all yellow (laughs) see you were kind of right Karina yeah see (laughs) I'm just uh, there you go (laughs) childhood Karina is a genius fine sure yeah, <laughs> but I think though that I mean I found a um a black um what we I mean I've talked about it on the show before like a pie ladybird and it's um mm-hmm. usually black but when I found it it had obviously just come out and it was red and you could just mm-hmm. see like the, the red spots starting to form but it um cool. most of it was red and it was just like wow I'd never seen that before that's, that's so cool. cool yeah what an exciting find. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, is anything that like sort of funny happened to you like, in connection with ladybirds? Or, I mean, I was I've been peed on an, a couple of times. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Just a little yeah, bit, yeah. Of, just a little bit of ladybug pee on my yeah. hand. I always thought of that as like, like a blessing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not gross. It's, it's just fine. It happens. Yeah. 
kind of funny, I guess. It's the same color as when you used to rub, when I, not sure if other people did this, used to rub like dandelions against mm-hmm. my skin and, and get yellow on it. It's fine. I, I didn't do that. Just dandelion <laughs> pee. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How about you? Well, like, I think nothing that funny, but except like, like so this summer, I I went out into the garden and uh, I went out, out into the garden. And I saw um, any children listening might want to cover their ears at this point, but I went out, out into the garden and my mum, my mum's got a sage plant and Oh, nice. We saw. I went outside and I saw like um, two two ladybirds, um, two sort of seven spots, um, basically having some having some fun. Mm. And um, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, and they were really sort of obviously quite enthusiastic. And, <laughs> I mean, if you, I, and I never because I mean I never actually realised that, that, that that's what happens, but they were plainly gay. And then I went back inside and sort of told my mum that I. Oh, this is going on and then like then like two hours later went outside again and they were still doing it <laughs> take some time you guys. know what that's why they're such a, a strong species <laughs> they got that resilience <laughs> <laughs> they, they were still doing it. it's like it's like how how like like first oh, of all funny. like how like and <laughs> and, and, and what <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, you know, it's like, okay, like you can stop now. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, the other thing, I, I mean, I guess you probably wouldn't, you guys wouldn't have found that. But I mean, I've, there's a, there's an American, I think, charity that, um, that I've kind of read about. And I did actually contact them to be on the show a while back but for some reason like I don't know I don't know what happened they're probably like just busy or something but mm-hmm. um there was an American charity called um the Lost Ladybug Project and they what they're doing is they're researching the they're like researching they're trying to find the endangered ladybirds of America and like trying to help them and stuff oh, and cool. trying to I think breed them and and there was one in particular that um, that had been quite threatened, I guess, because of all the invasive species and because of, I guess, habitat loss and other problems. Sure. There was one called the uh, Nine Spot, which I think they, at one point, they even thought was probably extinct, and they found it again. And I just wondered wow. if you if you guys had ever heard of that or if you'd ever found one. No, but that is so cool. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, it might not be from, uh, I mean, honestly, it, it might be big news in our area or it might be big news just in a different area of, ooh, hello. <laughs> they haven't had their breakfast yet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it might be it might be big news, you know, elsewhere in the United States or it could just be that we are severely slacking on the ladybug research. So I can't say either of us has ever spotted a nine spot. I guess there's also other types, but I mean, um, I don't know how many types there are in America in general, because I think in, there must be so many different habitats. I mean, in oh, yeah. in the UK, there's something like 47. Um, I think it's 47. Wow. And we don't really have that many different habitats, but I think <laughs> you guys got yeah. the mountains mountains and you've got forests and you've got 
beaches and things like that. There's, there must be quite a lot, I would have thought. Well, just in California, there's over 200 species. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But California does have pretty representative, diverse climates because we basically have everything from, you know, high mountain to desert. Uh, yep. To sea level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because so I know, I know that like in, um, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know if, if you've got it there, but um, one ladybird I read about sort of actually lives near like the North Pole and they're quite worried about it because we've seen like climate change and all of that. It lives near the North Pole? Yeah. What? So cool. Yeah, it's called like Hippodamia Arctica and it's, um, yeah, it, it lives sort of like in the northern reaches of um, Sweden and stuff. Oh my gosh. And it's obviously specially adapted to, to live there. And of course, because of climate change, it's, right. uh, it's not a, probably not a good idea for it to uh, be there. But unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bummer. But wow, I didn't realize they were that adaptive. Yeah. That's amazing. So cool. Super cool. I didn't realize that either. But then I, when I started sort of researching things for the show, I was thinking, like, wow. This is definitely one I want to talk about. Oh, yeah. That's very cool. Wait, I looked up the Lost Ladybird project that you were talking about. And um, apparently it's through Cornell University, which is the same place where the big eBird lab and, and like tracking of, of birds and migration patterns and stuff is through too. So that totally makes sense and is very cool. Yeah. A while back, I contacted them to do the show, but I guess probably both probably both of us were were busy and like a, and we never it never it didn't end up happening. But hopefully, at some point, it will. Yeah, you should send them a follow up email. Get a grad student on there to to talk about uh, ladybugs with you. So yeah. I contacted I would probably I contacted them on Facebook, which is probably not the best um, means of contacting them. But yeah, yeah, that's so tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to um want to talk about or have you got any questions that you want to ask me or um what's your favorite ladybug or ladybird for you so my favorite ladybird is probably um I mean we get quite a few I mean I found quite a few around here um probably either the 16 spot or the <laughs> 22 spots nice. because the 16 spot they gather in huge huge sort of convergences like during during the winter and they're very they're very small they're very tiny and they just look very different to anything else and they've got these um they they're sort of beige and they've got like these little wavy little stripes on either side and they're so oh, small they're like about they're incredibly yeah like look at i did an episode on it but um look it up it's really like they're they're incredibly sweet um that sounds adorable they are they are really and also the other thing about them is because like it used to be that they all thought to entirely eat uh fungi but then they realized like sort of um i think in the 70s or 80s they actually realized they were eating pretty much everything and (laughs) so they're they're 
they're a bit of a like sort of enigma because they they're sort of adapted to eat fungi but they do actually eat everything they've got like one of the most diverse diets of all of them they eat like mites and aphids and stuff um yeah so it's just like how like what is happening with you (laughs) sort of thing and um yeah and then the 22 spot like I really like that because it's just because of how pretty it is so it's a mildew feeder and it eats um it always has 22 spots and it's and the um so the let me I can't remember whether it's the males that have um yeah I think it's the males that have a um a white like pronotum like around the head part and Uh the females just have like a entirely yellow um body and everything but it's like they are so pretty and they're so they're so small and they're really cute as well and that's basically just based on their looks (laughs) would you say that ladybirds are your favorite animal in general um I would definitely say they're like one of my favorites (laughs) (laughs) I mean yeah I would definitely say oh yeah I mean I would definitely say that they're like incredibly interesting and I like but I also like frogs I like birds um and you know I and and I really like all the basically all the wildlife that you get um when I was a kid I was like super into nature and animals and especially ladybirds have got like a special I guess emotional significance for me because just like from when I was a kid yeah like yeah and um yeah and but I think like definitely I think definitely ladybirds are my favorite insect um and I and they're certainly pretty much in the top three if not in the top one (laughs) <laughs> definitely i know i put you on the spot it's, it's i hate when people ask me what my favorite animal is because it's just really hard to really hard to choose when there's literally millions to choose from like <laughs> it's so hard to choose because they probably ladybirds are definitely uh, definitely up there with my favorite animals but i'm not sure if they actually are my favorite animal. Right. <laughs> it's hard yeah but clearly you have to love them enough to make to want to make a podcast about them so they're they're clearly up there <laughs> they clear yeah they clearly are and I just think because as well because when I started when I decided to start the podcast I was thinking like would anyone listen to a podcast about ladybirds like let, let's find out yeah heck yeah <laughs> there is there are listeners out there for every kind of podcast <laughs> and I love how you do your podcast too it's just delightful I love the like the le- the lead-ins that you do for your episodes so fun <laughs> yeah thank you because I wasn't actually sure if that if that worked but then like because I wanna I wanted to I wasn't actually sure if that if that actually worked but then people oh, say totally. oh, I really like it because it's oh yeah blah, blah. yeah it's perfect oh yeah you gotta you have to find you know you have to find what works for your show and if you find it right away then awesome yeah you know we decided a theme song was best for our show (laughs) yeah I mean no the theme song I think for your show really works like (laughs) yeah (laughs) because I've actually like found myself when I'm like doing something else I started humming it I'm like okay 
<laughs> yeah, achieved. Success. <laughs> <laughs> but also same. I totally yeah. start singing it randomly. It's, it's accurate. Yeah, because I think it's it's quite catchy. And also it's like, especially it just fits in like the rest of, it fits in with the rest of the show, especially oh. um, the conversations about animals and, it's just got that vibe. It's got to set you up for like, this is going to be an hour of fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we actually play it every time we record because it like, even if we, even if it's like the end of a long day or the beginning of a day and we're like, oh, I've got to record an episode. When you play that song, it's just like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh. Yep. In the mood. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sort of, it gets, exactly. It sort of gets you in the mood and... I think that's like it's like a really that's like really important because like when I I was really lucky that my friend um Deborah like she recorded the the my theme song and because like, at first I was th- at first I was thinking like like how am I gonna find a theme? How am I gonna find a song about ladybirds like what like where did you get that and then she was like oh I'll, I'll do one and then like I listened to it I was just like it was so funny and also so sweet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm so glad about that. Sorry, there was children screaming outside of our apartment and that upset multiple dogs. So it's no longer just one. We have some new neighbors and the dogs just haven't really adjusted to those neighbors yet. Yeah. (laughs) The delights of living in an apartment with animals. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, actually, I mean, listening to this is like kind of making me wish I had a dog again. (laughs) you should go get one <laughs> what I actually really liked the recent episode I liked is because I'm actually thinking of possibly getting a rabbit at some point and so your episode oh, about about your episode about um guinea pigs was really yeah. interesting because there was like there was so much I there was so much I kind of um didn't know I didn't know how intelligent they were but I also didn't know the thing about the poo Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Accurate. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know that either when I had them when I was a kid. And oof, if only I knew what I know now. (laughs) Yeah. So for anyone not listening, it's uh, basically the the, um, guinea pigs um, have to eat their poo because they because for what they don't um, digest their food quickly enough. They need to eat it in order to um, in order to stay for it to stay nutritious. I mean, that's that's right. Yeah. They just it just goes through their system so fast it has to have a second pass through in order to accurately absorb the nutrients. And you think you could do that whole digestive system internally, but nah. nah. <laughs> I mean it's it's a lot like uh, a lot of ruminants. It's just that with ruminants it doesn't make it all the way out. Right. Like it just kind of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know, it's still secondary digestion. It's not as gross when you think about it that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah i mean i i mean i don't know i mean i don't think i don't think rabbits do that um i think oh i've got a funny story involving a rabbit well involving a rabbit a rabbit poo so when i was a kid i used i don't know if you get it in america these uh maltesers this maltesers are like a are a like the little chocolate covered ball yeah we call them malted milk balls yeah yeah when i when i was little like we were, we were walking in the field. I think I must have been about three or something. We were walking in a field and I saw what I thought was a Malteser on, oh, on no. the ground. Oh, no. 
and and I and my mum was like, "What the hell are you like? What the hell are you? Oh, no. What the hell are you doing?" And I and I and I put it in my mouth, and then like for years and years, I was like terrified of eating Maltesers. Oh no! Ah. <laughs> uh, yikes! The worst. <laughs> You know what? You were just being a rabbit because rabbits actually are corporophages. Yeah. So they do have to eat some of their own poop. But it's not the same as guinea pigs where there's like one type that they're always eating. They mm-hmm. just nibbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, animals. <laughs> <laughs> we love them even when they eat their own poop. As long as it's their own poop, it's not that bad. No, it is. No, we had this conversation about a dog yesterday. It is that bad. They're it's, not all meant to eat their own No, but poop. it's worse when they eat someone else's poop. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, is there anything else you want to mention on the show? Or... Um, I don't think so. Not off the top of my head. Um. We'll just give a a little shout out that if your listeners are interested in trying a little bit of CritterCast out, they can find us on uh, on our website, CritterCastPodcast.com or on any, you know, any place they listen to podcasts. We are having a little bit of trouble with Spotify right now. So only our recent episodes are showing up, but we're going to figure it out. Uh, (laughs) In the meantime, all of our episodes are on all the other major podcast platforms, including iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Um, And they can always follow us on social media if they're here for the occasional animal meme and (laughs) interesting links to things happening in the animal world. So we're on Facebook at CritterCast, on Instagram at CritterCast Podcast, and on Twitter at Cast Critter. Yeah. We also have a lot of resources, particularly about reptiles and um, beginner companion animal reptiles on our website, which is CritterCastPodcast.com. And we have a YouTube channel where we have done some walkthroughs of reptile shows. So if if you're living in a place where there are not reptile shows and you want to see what, what is like? this all about, <laughs> you can check out our our Facebook channel, which is just CritterCast. Yeah. Or not our Facebook, our YouTube. That's what I meant. Oh, amazing. We put them on Facebook too. Yeah, we do. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much um, for being on the show. And... Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. (laughs) It's been really great to talk to you. And thanks for talking about Ladybirds. Oh, yeah. Our pleasure. It was so fun. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, if you want to um, check out um, Cassie and Karina's podcast, then please go to Criticast and it will be. And um, they always have a lot of really fun, informative episodes about pretty much every different type of animal. So that's really great. That's our new tagline. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thanks so much um, for being on the show. And thank you for listening to this episode. And we'll see you next time. All right. Bye for now. Don't blame me for my rewinds, so I've been since